This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Vibrant Raw Living. I'm your host, Victoria Madian. Join me on a journey of discovering your infinite potential. Thank you so much for tuning in. Today, I'm joined by Jessica Scheitler, who is the owner and operator of Financial Groove, which is a full-service financial consulting and tax service bookkeeping firm. She has extensive experience in regards to handling tax preparation, accounting processes, consulting, and bookkeeping for a variety of small businesses. And being that she grew up as an accomplished competitive dancer, as well as part of Disney's Lion King on Broadway in New York City, she understands the unique needs of working within the entertainment industry when it comes to money management and tax planning for her clients. Her passion is to help performers and business owners within the entertainment industry have long-term financial success and prosper in their creativity. Thank you so much for joining me, Jessica. Hi, thanks for having me. So I wanted to start off with giving the audience a little bit of background about you. So where are you from originally? I grew up in northwestern Iowa in a super, super small town um, with farms all around and had to travel, you know, 10 miles down the road to go to school and to dance class. But a little town called Merrill, Iowa is where I originally grew up. Awesome. So what were your early passions in life and when did dance really become an important component? Uh, well, I started dancing when I was four. Uh, Mom put me into dance class to uh, make sure that I didn't stay shy and not talk to kids. <laughs> so that's that's why it started. Mm-hmm. And uh, I like to st- tell a little silly story. The costume that I had to wear year one was tulle. I looked. I was a little chicken, and I had tulle all the way up to my armpits, and I <laughs> was so uncomfortable. And my ballet shoes were a little bit too small by the time recital came around, and I was done. Yeah. And the class above me had the most beautiful blue tutus with a blue feather, mm-hmm. and I decided to stay and dance because. I wanted a beautiful blue tutu with a blue feather. That is so and so I went for the next year and the rest is kind of history. I was, I was, I was a lifer at that point. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can totally relate to your story. Actually, my first like tiny tot dance, I was a dinosaur. And <laughs> so we were, had little dinosaur costumes and a little pink guitar. It was called dinosaur rock. And, <laughs> You know, I remember like very similar experiences, all the sequins and all the itchy costumes, but mm-hmm. becomes a fun part of it, but also a little bit uncomfortable at times. But well, I'm glad you stuck with it because you did have a lot of memorable moments as a dancer. And um, I know you had held several titles in the Midwest for a while. So how did all of your training lead you up to that point? Uh, well, dance was pretty much what my life revolved around. Um, I also loved musical theater and, mm-hmm. and I watched those um, type of films uh, growing up because in Iowa you don't have, or particularly in the 80s, I did not have a lot of exposure to outside things and you didn't travel quite as much. Mm-hmm. So that was really my, I guess, portal to uh, the world at large So what? and uh, the entertainment industry, uh, the world at large. So, you know, just not my little small town, but uh, a way to really 
connect with Hollywood or New York City and, right. and things like that. So I fell in love pretty quickly with that. Uh, yeah, and I started um, doing competitions, I would say, probably at the beginning of like this competition era that we're, that we're in. Mm-hmm. So there weren't competitions um, constantly coming through uh, our cities and our towns nearby at that point in time. So it was really exciting and it allowed us to travel to other places and other cities and um, with, you know, uh, Miss Dance type of uh, pageant competitions. And that allowed me as well to travel to New York and Chicago and, and to LA, which I highly doubt my parents would have uh, been up for that if it wasn't attached to you know, dance and this huge passion that I had. Um, for me, it was really a, a non-negotiable thing. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm going to pursue this and take this where with whatever available opportunities come along. I wanted to jump on. Awesome. Well, what were some of the musicals that you enjoyed watching growing up <laughs> that you can remember? Uh <laughs> I loved Hello, Dolly. Oh, I, I knew every word. I probably still do. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, so Long, Deary is one yeah. of my favorite numbers. I actually choreographed a piece <laughs> to that this year. It's such a good one. Yeah. Oh, fun. Uh, yeah. And, you know, it, it had to be on film at that point in yeah. time. So, you know, West Side Story mm. um, and the dancing in that. Um, and a little bit later in, in high school, then I really got into Bob Fosse. Yes. And, uh, everything that I could find with that. <laughs> yeah. I have to relate. Those are some good ones. Um, <laughs> so, you know, dance really served as an outlet for your life. Now, how did this process evolve? Were you involved in any high school teams? Did you take it with you into college? How did you incorporate it into your life as your life began to change as you got older? Sure. Yeah. Uh yeah, like you said, dance was was uh, the centerpiece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with, with high school activities coming into play and that sort of thing, uh, I was active in the theater, um, the drama department, um, speech and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I was a cheerleader because that let me choreograph those fun type of dances. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so a little bit of those things happening uh, in, in high school and uh but dance was really the jumping off point. So I had decided um, probably in eighth grade after my first trip to New York that I wanted to go back there. So it, going into high school, everything was, how can I get a scholarship for college to be able to go uh, to New York? Mm-hmm. I wanted to study dance in New York. I wanted to dance in New York. And uh, so pretty much everything was revolving around that. I have to get good grades so I can get into this expensive school you know, school in New York is everything's mm-hmm. expensive there. Yeah. And, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so by sophomore year and I was a little bit overly conscientious, I suppose, uh, I had already mapped out, I'm going to audition for, for these schools and, you know, was figuring out, um, how I could get myself to New York city. So, um, I ended up, um, going to college at Marymount Manhattan college, mm-hmm. um, which is on the upper East side in, in New York. And uh, luckily, uh, was able to get a scholarship uh, for, actually for academics, and then also um, was accepted into the Bachelor of Fine Arts BFA dance program. So I actually went to college and studied dance uh, with a concentration in choreography, 
And that was a pretty big culture shock um, mm-hmm. heading heading to New York. But at the same time, I had been planning on it for three years. Yeah. So I was ready. <laughs> Yeah. But it certainly changed my perspective on dance and what I uh, what I enjoyed and, and what I wanted to jump into. College is, is definitely a different ballgame, and the focus is different. And New York City has so much to offer in terms of culture. So uh, it exposed me to a lot of new things that obviously were above and beyond films of Hello, Dolly! and West Side Story. Of course, yeah. And did you feel like the training that you got in college at Marymount, was that more like modern based or was it pretty well-rounded? The training there is definitely Mm well-rounded, but having come from the Midwest, uh, I really didn't have a lot of exposure to modern dance at all prior to college. So it was just trial by fire freshman year. Like, where (laughs) am I and what am I doing? (laughs) Totally. And we studied some Nikolai technique in that first year, which Mm -hmm. was just like just so over so many of our heads but um basically what happened was my love and my focus kind of shifted from this musical theater which was my you know opening to the world of dance and theater and really shifted into a modern focus where Mm -hmm. that's that became the movement vocabulary that really resonated with me and I definitely credit college with that it was certainly a well-rounded experience Mm -hmm. but I I took a left turn (laughs) well it's interesting because I can I can relate to what you're saying as well because I didn't get into doing much modern until I was in college as well and I mean I was at UCSD and the program there is very post-modern so it was very very different than competitive Mm -hmm. dance we were doing a lot of like Graham, Limone, um you know, a lot of those types of techniques, which were like, I, I had hardly even been exposed to that. But at the same time, I think had I been exposed to it as much as I was when I was in college, um, when I was younger, I don't know that I would have had the same like approach to it. I don't know if I would have really absorbed it as much because I think there's a different level of discipline and modern and contemporary is such a rebellion, in my opinion, a like, you know, against like what we're used to in ballet, everything's turned in and more like parallel. And um, I think it's important to have like those foundations in a variety of styles, especially ballet, before you start to do something that's complementary, but also contrasting greatly to, you know, a style that you might have grown up doing like ballet. So um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. I, I experienced very similar mm-hmm. <laughs> and and yeah it takes some it takes some maturity absolutely yeah because <laughs> yeah, I feel like the pieces sometimes are a little bit more abstract which which can be interesting but takes maybe a college level approach to accomplish so at what point did you decide finance was something you really wanted to get involved with uh I think it snuck up on me mm-hmm. I don't know that there was an actual point <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh during college, uh, I needed to make money, you know, to help pay rent and live. Yeah. <laughs> and so I took a job as an admin assistant uh, in an office, mm-hmm. and the accountant on staff there just kind of took a liking to me or saw promise. Yeah. And she took me under her wing and basically um, taught me bookkeeping, you know, boots on the ground mm-hmm. uh, in the field. Um, and that was my first moment of anything to do with anything financial and uh yeah she just she just took me under her wing and 
taught me as I went. And um, that's kind of how it started out. But she also helped me find um, clients so that I could do some freelance bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. And what I discovered at first was, wow, this is really awesome. I can pop into this client's office. They don't care that much when I come as long as I show up to their office and do my job for a couple of hours. Right. Freelancing like that, I was able to coordinate in between uh, rehearsals mm-hmm. and, um, you know, all of that type of thing. That, that allowed me that flexibility and freedom mm-hmm. that uh, clocking into, I don't know, a Starbucks didn't. Yeah, no, I can relate to that. I mean, the CP- I ended up working for a high-profile CPA in San Francisco when I was in my early 20s, and it was sort of the same situation. She saw a lot of promise in me. I had started a business when I was 22 and she wanted to take me under her wing and teach me a lot about what type of things go on in the operations of preparing taxes. And, um, you know, like there were a lot of amazing clients that I got to meet that were VPs of these big companies up in San Francisco. And I lived in San Francisco. So she was such a, you know, light in my life. And unfortunately she passed away from, um, esophageal cancer earlier this year so that was the really devastating loss but she was such a wonderful woman in my life so it's it's awesome that we can relate to that you know there's and I feel like in accounting it does take such a fine attention to detail and you know to be good with numbers I feel like that really really helps so did you find that that was something that you were gifted with early on or did you become more passionate about it once you kind of see or um, saw where it might take you? Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I always excelled with math, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, did the, the advanced math type of thing. And I actually got a minor in math on, with my, my dance major. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, so yeah, the math, the math aspect of it definitely came easy to me. Uh, I think the other portion of it is organization and, um, problem solving. Mm -hmm. So that definitely is something that, you know, we'd sit in fifth grade or high school or whatever and be like, why am I ever going to need to know this? Yeah. You know, this, that, the other, and saying that to the teacher. <laughs> no, you probably in your day-to-day life don't need to do calculus. Mm-hmm. But the way that it makes your mind think as far as problem solving and and how you can think on your feet is part and parcel to success in so many things and problem solving. And Absolutely. I would also credit it with things to do with dance. I mean, mm-hmm. even going to, uh, into dance classes right now, like the ability to switch your brain, uh, you know, when you're doing a difficult, I don't know, frappe mm-hmm. <laughs> combination or something like that, or, you know, the petite allegro when things are going so yeah. fast, the brain is trained to uh, deal with things coming at you left and right and find the details. Absolutely. Yeah, even like picking I'm not up sure things. Sure, that I quickly. answered your question. <laughs> I think yes. we. I like the answer that you gave me, so I feel like that was absolutely. You know, it makes sense though because I think you know relating math into life as well. I always think about things of like you know you want to simplify your equation. You want to see what variables in your life are not working. You want to simplify things, which might be a little bit more algebraic, more so than calculus, but. Um, but I do think that it is effective and just in order to break things down as well as figure out solutions, it absolutely does come in handy in life. And, um, you know, 
in regards to that, what were some of the challenges that you overcame in the process of balancing working on larger scales productions like Lion King on Broadway and focusing on your business career and balancing all of that? Well, I actually worked uh, with the dance supervisor at the right. Lion King. So I was um, working uh, behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And that was the first moment of realization where that detail was concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I did was wrote up uh, critiques that uh, the dance supervisor would find for the, the dancers from their performance that mm-hmm. week. Um, you know, you're, you're two inches off of your, your uh, point on stage. Mm-hmm. You want to be careful about that. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be two inches to the left. And I was just just incredibly, I guess, humbled by the detail there yeah. and how important the detail was to all the other elements. Mm-hmm. So up to that point, I was a dancer. I was taking class and mm-hmm. I was, you know, thinking about thinking about my dancing as my dancing more so than as the team effort. And suddenly the perspective of that changed Yeah. because I was seeing how, okay, well, if he, if he doesn't stand, you know, t- two inches might be a little bit much, but two mm-hmm. feet to the left, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> then all of a sudden when the electronics automation start right. going and fried rock circles up, yeah. he'll get his foot caught and fried rock. Totally. <laughs> and your stage manager will probably notice that and have to adjust the cue and, you know, so there's just so much thinking on your feet and mm-hmm. how important it is working as a team and how your actions or, you know, your placement affects everything else that's going on. Um, and so that was one of the major things that I learned mm-hmm. at The Lion King um, in the detail orientation and the process and the procedure, which now uh, is one of the things that I consider to be my forte is mm-hmm. coming up with systems so that you can get from point A to point Z mm-hmm. <laughs> and what's the best and most efficient and easiest way to do that within a dance studio or within a dancer's career. I, I know that it's a little bit abstract again, but, but yeah, that's one of the things that I, I really excel in. And so the Lion King really let me see what corporate theatrical, mm-hmm. large scale, million dollars, <laughs> yeah. you know, lots of money, like what, what does that mean? What's the what makes in our that small unique? business world in our yeah yeah, yeah. How, why is and it I, a million dollar? With, you know what goes into it to yeah, make it that exactly yeah. exactly. And I worked with smaller um, houses as well. Mm-hmm. I interned and worked with um, Abington Theater Company mm-hmm. and learned a lot about what it's like to pull together a nonprofit with and shoestrings and blood and tears (laughs) (laughs) so so like seeing the vast array of what is the arts and performing arts is has been amazing for me and it has really influenced how I'm able to relate to to my clients Mm -hmm. at this point and absolutely and, and help people along and what the goals are because there are certainly different ways to do it and different lanes and they're not all created equally maybe you want to have a small theater not everybody wants to be the lion king totally. and there's different ways to accomplish that absolutely yeah i mean i've seen the lion king on broadway in new york and like the whole experience of going into the theater like up the escalator all the extreme detail and all the <laughs> costuming and like you said like 
Pride Rock spiraling up. I mean, all the stage design is just, it's so, so amazing. I really encourage anybody who hasn't seen the show that would appreciate those details to go and experience it. Um, you know, and I think I can also relate to what you're saying about being on the other end of it where you're not the performer on stage and you're involved in some aspect of the stage production. I was actually a light board operator at the La Jolla Playhouse during a time when I was in college. And even though I wasn't a performer on stage, taking all those cues and knowing when they're going to come in and like having that experience of knowing, you know, having the experience as a dancer helped me in that um, job that I did because you understand a little bit more of what's expected and what needs to be done and how the whole um, production on that end, how it's going to look, how the audience is going to experiencing the attention to detail with the timing, all of that stuff and how important it is. And it really does come out into other aspects of life. And I, I really can see how your broad range of experience working with different level productions has helped you because you really do understand your client and their specific needs as far as people being within the entertainment industry. Um, so that's wonderful. And I feel like that probably absolutely makes you stand out within your field as someone who's helping people with their finances. So as oh, thank you, I appreciate that. Oh, of course. So as a choreographer, what styles did you find yourself most drawn to, and what was the process of? Um, did you ever find the process of choreographing to be like a really healthy outlet for your energy amidst the business busyness and stress of like a tax season? Because <laughs> it, it definitely weighs on you <laughs> when it's crunch time. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. Uh, at the time when I was, um, doing work as a choreography, just independently, mm -hmm. uh, I wasn't actually doing taxes at that point in time. Okay. Thank goodness. I don't know <laughs> that I could have fully balanced the two, but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, as far as styles of choreography, um, I definitely, like I said, I came from a musical theater background, mm -hmm. so there's a, that theatrical aspect to what I was doing, but what I really, um, started immersing myself in later um, was work of Pina Bausch and Bill T. Jones mm -hmm. and, and people like that, where I wasn't completely of the mind of art for art's sake, which mm -hmm. is beautiful, yes. but I really wanted to say something. Yes. That, that was, that was my perspective. Mm -hmm. So, so the work of Pina or Bill T uh, where there's other you know, there's there's other messages going on in the work along with mm -hmm. this beautiful movement. Um, Absolutely. You know, I, I like to toy with political messages mm -hmm. or getting the audience to feel certain emotions mm -hmm. about a subject, you know, things like that. So that, that was really where um, my choreographic inspiration came from. Mm -hmm. I, you know, found a subject that I wanted to work through. Twilight Tharp mm -hmm. um, is, another, is another one. Yeah. Um, so that, that was kind of, uh, where my style came from. Uh, and what I found was that I really resonated with the choreography more so than being the dancer. Yes. I liked <laughs> moving the whole picture and creating the image and, you know, creating the message. I liked the creation. Absolutely. Uh, and I didn't, didn't end up enjoying as much being in the core. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is what it is. Um, but that, that just ended up not being my, my style. And I really enjoyed 
um, working with dancers and, you know, Barbie doll style being like, I see this happening. Is that yes. physically possible? Let's try it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah, just really working through the creativity and the, and imagination of, of it all. So certainly that is an outlet without a doubt <laughs> is getting the brain to work in that way and, and process things that way. Whereas on the numbers side and the day job time, mm-hmm. it was very cut and dry and, yeah. and stamp this process, this type that. Exactly. Um, so definitely exploring, exploring both sides of my brain mm-hmm. was important to me. Totally. And it's, I feel like it's important. I think it's wonderful that you've been able to do that too, as an individual that, you know, if people choose to be in the core of a ballet or they, you know, they want to pursue ABT or, you know, things like this, like they can do that. But I think in your case, I love the fact that you've balanced, you know, your academics and your, um, you know, creative aspects of your life. And that's helped you become a businesswoman that understands both sides of the spectrum and can be of service on both sides of the spectrum and, and really enjoy both of those. So, you know, even just encouraging to young dancers out there, people that may still be thinking about what they want to do, even if they're passionate about dance, that that can be something that is an, a, an option or available to them long term, that they can still work in an industry where they get to enjoy working with a certain type of client or, you know, type of people, but they can also pursue something else that they enjoy as well. So moving on to that, how did you begin the process of developing Financial Groove and where did you find the inspiration to start that business? Uh, Well, like I mentioned, I was doing independent choreography and I was very, very interested in creating my own dance company. Mm -hmm. Um, Something about that math background and probably the whole business that I was working in or just me, mm-hmm. <laughs> made me want infrastructure. Mm-hmm. I wanted infrastructure to ensure that this choreography could go somewhere mm-hmm. or you, it could reach a larger audience, that I wasn't just performing for my friends. I wanted to take it to other places. And so I started looking into the infrastructure and, okay, so what does it take? I'd learned some stuff about nonprofit. I, you know, I knew a little bit of this and that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So I decided to basically start digging in uh, of what what it would take to set up a nonprofit dance company. And as I was doing that research, I found that I didn't have a solid resource for it. There were there are a lot of places that are super helpful, like Fractured Atlas and um, other nonprofits that exist, but it wasn't the complete information source that I needed. What's mm-hmm. my step one, my step two, my step three. Uh, and so as I was doing that, and like I said, on the side, I was working in business um, and in accounting, those two parts of my brain started <laughs> melding together where it's like, wow, there's a, there's a hole here. And I feel like it needs to be filled. And, and that was really the gap that I started trying to bridge with Mm -hmm. coming up with the idea of financial group. And so it started out um, just with what I knew, which was um, simple bookkeeping and accounting. And I think I had mentioned I was doing small business bookkeeping as well Mm -hmm. um, at that point in time. So there was all these different elements interacting of uh, people coming from different places. I was also extremely interested in music. I love live music. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
that's my that's my hobby. <laughs> mm. uh, and so I started working with some musicians and things um, whose plight is very similar, um, <laughs> where you're you know fighting an uphill battle to uh, make your make your place in the world, mm-hmm. and the money does not flow in easily until you've made it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so I started working with musicians in that way, and. Um, strangely, uh, started managing uh, a performer's career, um, helping him with bookings, helping him with his accounting, all of that kind of stuff, getting into the, the tax aspect, getting into the production aspect and all of that kind of stuff. So that took me basically on a journey I had not intended, and I ended up in Las Vegas. <laughs> uh, which not was kind New of York anymore. He won. <laughs> nope. <laughs> He won a million-dollar contract on a reality show at the time when there was a reality show absolutely everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in Las Vegas, we landed. And um, as those reality shows ebbed, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so did, you know, that kind of money. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm on a different coast. Uh, I'm in a very different dance scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, everything's different now. <laughs> And that is when I decided to um, start Financial Groove mm-hmm. because I knew that these things needed to happen. And I had worked in that capacity with artists and musicians and dancers, um, very freelance. And again, trying to find that infrastructure, I wanted to be something that people could count on and give them something that they could count on. And so that's pretty much why I decided to create Financial Groove um, here in Las Vegas. And really found um, that it's a pretty great base for reaching out to all the different entertainment avenues of Mm -hmm. people. You know, it's transient. So people come and go. And, you know, we have people we work with who come in for Cirque and then they take another gig and Mm -hmm. they're back on Broadway. Or, Mm -hmm. you know, Broadway shows come here, they leave. So it's just been very interesting um, and also opened my eyes to a completely new entertainment community. Oh, for as sure. I came here Very different. And then was also, yeah. And Cirque has been pretty awesome mm-hmm. as far as the exposure that, um, that I've gotten from learning new things in the world of taxes and finance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we get um, a Cirque performer who is currently in Las Vegas, we'll say, mm-hmm. but they just came off of a world tour. Mm-hmm. And so we have to make sure that their German tax return is taken care of and mm-hmm. their Canadian tax return is taken care of. And 23 states are taken care of. And so instantly it was a huge learning curve. Yeah. Let's learn about all the states. <laughs> mm-hmm. Let's learn about international taxes. So it's just, it's just amazing the possibilities and the things that I've accidentally touched upon in this journey. And I've totally gone off topic. I feel like at this point. <laughs> no, I think that's actually so interesting. And it's something that, I mean, I feel like when a lot of dancers might be getting into the industry, they might not think about those things. And if you maybe don't come from such a, you know, if dance is your main focus and maybe you don't, you didn't pursue college or anything you know, higher education and you're very talented as a performer, which, you know, can oftentimes happen to a lot of young performers. They're very gifted, very talented, get booked on a world tour um, or have some success in Los Angeles, New York. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, these things can totally slip through the cracks and you're like, oh my God, how do I do my taxes? So these are (laughs) such important things to think about because 
it's realistic, you know? And, um, I think that's really cool that you were exposed to different entertainment industry other than, you know, you know, New York being that you're in Las Vegas now and also so close to Los Angeles. It's only, you know, a few hours away. The proximity to Los Angeles definitely opened that up as well. Um, and getting to know the Los Angeles, the dance scene and, uh, performing arts scene in Los Angeles. Um, and I also, uh, on and off constantly see cruise ships with, Mm. um, people, working on cruise ship contracts in yes. between other gigs and things like that. Totally. So it's, it's very interesting. There are so many possibilities that, uh, Jessica in the high school who saw only knew of hello Dolly thinking <laughs> I have to go to Broadway and be in musical <laughs> mm-hmm. theater. Suddenly the world has changed. <laughs> very much. Yeah. Yeah. That even, that makes me think about it. Cause I have never personally done like a cruise ship, but I've had plenty of friends of mine that have done like Disney cruise or like, um, Royal Caribbean or things like that where they're the dancers or dance instructors that are teaching like the ballroom or um, group dance classes sure. and stuff so that's something that is totally very interesting to think about um, and if anybody had questions about that I can see why you would be a perfect resource for them to reach out to um, so what are the common financial issues and solutions you see happening with your clients more suspicious specifically with people that are more on like a 1099 independent contractor type of situation? I think the biggest thing is with the way that a a contractor uh, or freelancer with the way that your lifestyle is, you're Mm -hmm. all over the place. It's not like you, it's not like you go sit at a desk for, for four hours every day. You probably don't. And so you're having to roll with the punches. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, at every moment. And sometimes that means taking a gig tomorrow that you weren't anticipating that, you know, flies you across the country. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there's a lot of, I guess, reactive uh, temperament that that happens with your finances, because Mm -hmm. again, you're just kind of rolling with the punches. And by and large, there's not a lot you can do about that. Unfortunately, that's kind of the way the industry is. You get Mm -hmm. called for this gig, you get called for that gig. Um, people who have consistent, um, consistent production, uh, shows obviously are in a little bit of a different position, Mm -hmm. but they're also taking, um, you know, they're studying choreography in, in North Carolina on the weekend and teaching a class in, you know, Long Island in the meantime. So there's just so much happening. And so what I see the most is, well, just the number one, the fear with the financials mm-hmm. uh, because you are, you know, hand to mouth and trying to figure out how to, where do I go next? Do I have enough money? And you don't have enough of a stopping point to, to make the world stop turning and to kind of get that perspective. Right. So I see that a lot where people um, are not able to be proactive. They're reactive. And we do taxes uh, during tax season and pretty much all year. So what ends up happening is that becomes the reckoning point. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, I have to do my taxes by April 15th. Let me attempt to pull all of this information together. Mm -hmm. And they're doing the taxes because legally you got to do your taxes. Right. (laughs) Um, And they're not thinking about it in a proactive way on the tax side, you know, where you find write offs all all year long that that helps you find more write offs. Mm -hmm. Um, On the budgeting side, if you're paying attention to it all year long, then you don't have to worry about whether or not you can make your rent or so on and so forth. So what I 
that's probably one of the biggest pitfalls that I see is that we're not keeping an eye on it consistently. And you kind of mentioned earlier about the foundation of ballet, even though we may want to go into modern or mm -hmm. hip hop, et cetera. Yeah. And I really think about the financial foundation that, that people should make a practice of. Mm -hmm. So if you get into a habit or if you get into a practice of, you know what, once a week, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to see where I'm at, then it's not so hard to do two months down the road when it feels like the world is ending and you're not sure where the money's coming from. Mm -hmm. You make the habit of it, you make the practice of it, then it's not so scary to open up the bank account and see where things are. Yeah. And that, that goes hand in hand with um, creating a budget uh, and trying to stay within that budget seems insurmountable because you don't know how much money you're going to make. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, it's not like, you know, hey, I make $50,000 at this job per year. Mm -hmm. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, and so there's constantly an ebb and flow. And so what I feel like is really great is to make a plan or some parameters to stick within. Mm -hmm. And we'll say, you know, you can work with a professional. We do this with um, our tax clients and, and other clients who need help with money management. But you can look at, okay, well, for the last three years, you've lived your life off of, we'll call it $30,000. Mm -hmm. Not a lot of money, but it's pretty typical. We'll say that that's what you've done. So we know that that's the lifestyle that you're used to living. So if we make a plan based on that, what can you afford within that plan? And the other aspect I like to do, if you're sitting down once a week, or even if you're sitting down once a month, is basically to create a thermometer. <laughs> if, if we made our plan based on $30,000 uh, and I'm two months in, am I two months uh, towards my $30,000? Am I close? Am I on track to hitting that $30,000? If so, then I know that my budget is still good. But if I'm way below, then I probably should readjust that budget. Right. So I'm trying to keep it not terribly technical because mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. I can get into some super technical stuff here. I'm but sure. um, But that's one of the ways. Uh, it's really about the practice of it because I think the biggest reason that people aren't able to stay on top of it is is fear. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's going to be in there. You log into the bank account with, with one eye closed. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so, yeah, just really um, figuring out how to find that, find that balance really comes from being okay with looking at it, going to your yoga practice every day, even though you probably are too tired to go. Yeah. Um, you make yourself do it because it's good for you in the long run, and it gives you a little bit more peace of mind. Yeah. Uh, when you're making decisions. Totally. Or it's like doing the same, you know, it's like for ballet classes, it's like it seems like the same exercises year after year after year, but, I mean, it really does mm. make such a difference in the long term. And you see dancers that have been doing ballet and making that investment in their technique for years, and it absolutely pays off. So is there any, like, maybe percentage of a paycheck that you think people should right away put into savings or in an emergency fund or something like that? Or like a minimum if they can uh, set aside? Sure. Uh, well, if you're freelancing and your money is coming through 1099 where mm -hmm. you're being paid as a contractor and where they're not taking taxes out for you, yeah. uh, your best bet is, pr is to set aside between 20 and 30%. Mm -hmm. uh, I'll just point out real quick that 
that the amount that you're going to be taxed on that is after we get to write off all of your awesome write-offs. Right. So the more write-offs you find, the lower that percentage is going to be on what you made to begin with. Um, so I'll just, I'll just point that out because that certainly helps to bring that percentage down if you have more write-offs. For sure. Um, but as far as savings plans uh, and things like that, sometimes it's not always possible. Yeah. And we understand that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, during some hard times for me, I'll, I'll just go there. Yeah. You know, I would love to tell you to save six months uh, yeah. worth of um, income expenses. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't know if that's always possible. So one of the things that I did um, during a particularly hard time, I had a bunch of credit card debt uh, and didn't really have a savings, didn't really have anything going into retirement accounts. So, mm-hmm. so basically, yeah, just live in paycheck to paycheck and trying to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. And so what I did was I actually set up um, kind of percentages where it's like, okay, I made $1,000. I'm going to set aside 50% of this and it's going to go into my various buckets. Mm-hmm. I'm going to put uh, 15% of it towards savings, mm-hmm. 70% of it towards paying off my credit cards because I want to get that interest out of here as soon as possible. Yeah. And the other 15% into retirement. So mm-hmm. now what I'm doing is I'm hitting up, I'm, I'm dealing with my past, mm-hmm. paying off my credit card, yeah. <laughs> dealing with the, uh, close future, mm-hmm. putting money into my savings account and dealing with my far away future. So I'm hitting, and then my other $500 I'm using to pay my rent and mm-hmm. to live on. Right. So on and so forth. So, so I'm dealing with all these aspects, present, past, future, and super future. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that we're not feeling like all I ever do is just deal with what's in front of me. Now we, you can, again, have a little bit of peace of mind, at least in your gut sometimes that that's going to be there. And if you dip into it, you know, that's, that's okay. If, if that's what it needs to be, that's why it's there. Right. And if you can translate that into savings or investments or something like that, then that's amazing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, so, so that's kind of how I, I think about setting money aside. And I'm just going to go touch on the, the tax write-offs yes. one more time, because I like this one, mm-hmm. but uh, people also have tendency to say, you know what, it's fine that I'm buying these overpriced <laughs> tap shoes. <laughs> You're just going to write <laughs> them off. Because I get to write it <laughs> yeah. off. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's true. Mm-hmm. We will write those off. Um, but that write-off doesn't help you dollar for dollar. Right. That write-off is going to help you based on your tax bracket. So on the one hand... Uh, if I spent $300 on those tap shoes, mm-hmm. that's going to give me a write-off probably of, oh, about $100. Mm-hmm. So that's going to save me $100 in taxes and I have tap shoes. Yeah, which you can use to <laughs> like earn money with if yes, you're you know, teaching, yes. so makes sense. <laughs> but if I don't spend the money mm-hmm. because I don't have the money, mm-hmm. I, I don't want you to think that you're going to then get that money back later. Right. You're not going to see your $300 back. And, and I've heard people think that in yeah. appointments with me. Totally. <laughs> so I just want to make sure that that's understood. Mm-hmm. The other, on the other side, saving your receipts uh, and, and tracking your write-offs, again, with, in real time, before our brains forget what on earth happened last month. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> super important as well. 
if you think about it in terms of that, every receipt for $1 saves you 25 cents in tax. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you tell me, oh, don't worry about that, that parking uh, receipt, it's so little, it doesn't matter. Well, it's 25 cents worth and you had to pay for parking, you know, a hundred times. So that could have saved you $25. Totally. (laughs) So what did you want to mention about savings? I was just thinking about um, one of the other things that I run into with uh, my business owners and and things like that Mm -hmm. is that people tend to get themselves into a snowball effect by kind of missing the details. Um, So when you're setting up your budget, you can easily think off the top of your head, my rent is $2,000, my utilities are 200 bucks approximately, Mm -hmm. and my phone bill is, is 100 bucks. Um, And that's easy to come by. But where we get into trouble is, especially now where everything we do is, you know, online or swiping your card Mm -hmm. um, and so on and so forth. Those little things that we're spending money on tend to get lost, which is why it's great to um, keep track of those. um, And so it doesn't snowball on you in the opposite way. You can use those to write off. You can use those to make sure you stay within your budget. um, and stop swiping your card because yeah. if you had a hundred bucks cash, you would stop spending it mm-hmm. when when it's gone. But when you're swiping your card, you forget about it. <laughs> I really do feel like, in my experience of like you know working within that industry, that is what I see is that there are it's usually those smaller purchases over a long period of time where it just feels like ten twenty dollars here and there, but it adds up to quite a bit over the course of a year. So mm-hmm. like keeping that budgeting really tight and being conscious of it is so important, similar to how, you know, when you were on Lion King, that guy needs to move two feet to the right. It's like if you make those, you know, if he gets that if you give those consistent, you know, critiques on a more mm-hmm. consistent basis so that, you know, when it comes to production time and you have to go to stage and perform, there's not a million things that you have to discuss with this person like, oh, hey, you have to switch this, this and that. It's like you take the constructive criticism day by day and you like offer yourself that through being aware of your spending sure. habits that way in the long term, you're building healthy habits and gaining experience in regards to what your yeah critiques are and what you need to work on as an individual in your financial health. That way you can live your life to the fullest and really pursue other opportunities and continue to do your work as an artist and let that longevity happen because you're taking care of these other aspects. Because sometimes I feel like, you know, why should people care? Why should people really care about taking their time to go through all this? But it really does have such a profound long-term effect. But what do you, um, what is, if someone asked you, oh, why should I care about my finances? Why don't I just live pay to check to paycheck and, you know, figure it out? You know, the universe will take care of me type of perspective. What <laughs> advice do you have for that type of client that's just like, oh, no, I don't really need to worry about it? Well, I, I think it's, uh, again, going back to that uh, foundation of the ballet class, so the, mm-hmm. the healthy practices is, you're missing out on opportunity. Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're, we'll say that you're on top of it and you save this money in taxes and you've, you've kept within your budget and you've got this awesome savings. Well, now when that once in a lifetime shot comes along and they're like, you know what, you can um, travel the world with Taylor Swift, mm-hmm. but 
you have to be an intern. And we can only pay you, I don't know, $10 an hour, Mm -hmm. which would probably never happen. But but if that opportunity comes along, and they do, and they're usually things you want to jump at, but you may or may not be able to afford, if you've kept kept this in check all along, you can make those leaps. Mm -hmm. And you can take those risks because you have calculated it ahead of time so that you can uh, try new things. You can move across the country and try it out in New York City or yeah. something like that with with that, you know, cushion for yourself mm-hmm. that you've provided for yourself. Uh, and, and that's so empowering. Yeah. And just with the peace of mind of knowing that, like, if something happens, that you'll be able to figure it out and be able to stay on your feet. And I love the analogy yeah, that you I use also, for ballet because so many dancers are yeah. like, well, well, I don't know. I'm like competing my jazz solo. Like, why do I need to go to ballet? It's like, you need to go to ballet. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, like stop yeah. trying to make excuses. Like you have to take care of these <laughs> details or else you're going to totally get docked on your technique points that, you know, when you go to comp- competition, yeah. it's like, absolutely. Don't give anyone reason to I take also points recommend- away. Yeah. No. I, re- I also recommend getting a professional involved yeah. for, if nothing else, for the advice and for the bird's eye view. Mm-hmm. So you have a choreographer, you have a dance teacher, you have a coach. Um, it's the same with the finances and the taxes. Mm-hmm. What you're doing is probably awesome and great. And yeah. you've learned stuff on the internet and you've learned stuff on your own and it's going to get you by. But bringing that professional uh, outlook in can really step it up a notch. Mm-hmm. Um to where when people come to us, yeah. we start getting into strategic um, things. So coming up with a strategy of what to do with this money or coming up with a strategy of how to save on those taxes based on your circumstances. Because yeah. the things you see on Pinterest or BuzzFeed or whatever are super general. And when when you get someone who does a you know private ballet lesson with you, then they see that your hip is you know one inch mm-hmm. up. Uh, whereas in regular class, they're probably not going to point out. Yeah. They're just going to generally say, drop the hits. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, one final question I want to wrap up with is in regards to retirement. Now, if people are in a position where they can save for retirement, how can this benefit their tax picture over a course of a year or long term, if they're saving towards an IRA or a Roth IRA where they can potentially put themselves in a lower tax bracket and be saving for retirement, if they're not in a corporate job where they have those types of benefits and they really need to think about their um, long term financial goals and taking care of themselves later on in their life? Sure. Uh, definitely when you're freelancing, you know, your destiny is, is your domain. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you have to keep take care of that in this moment, even though it doesn't feel like it's time. Um, And investing into individual retirement accounts can definitely lower your taxes. Um, There are tax credits for putting money into individual retirement accounts. Mm -hmm. And uh, it can take that percentage down that I was talking about. So when I was saying, hey, put aside 30%, but the more you write off, the more that comes down. Well, that com- the retirement comes into play. Yeah. And then you're helping your, your long-term future and you're helping your present uh, get some more cash in your hands as yeah. to not paying it into taxes or getting a larger refund. Totally. So it certainly uh, helps in, in that measure. And there's also a lot of strategies that we take with our freelance choreographers and dance teachers 
who are all working 1099s, mm-hmm. and there's awesome strategies we can take to set up, and it's all cir- depends on your circumstances, but you can set up things like LLCs or S-corporations, and it allows us to work the tax system in your favor. Mm-hmm. So I believe in playing by the rules, but using the rules to our advantage. Right. Be as aggressive as possible, but don't cheat. Yes. So there are lots of things, including investing in retirement, including setting up LLCs and, and marrying that with retirement mm-hmm. plans. Uh, and even marrying that with health insurance right off mm-hmm. that can really benefit your, your day-to-day life in a larger scheme of, you know, a tax strategy that you really don't even have to think about. All that infrastructure is just working behind the scenes mm-hmm. to help your future. Absolutely. Well, what final thoughts do you want to leave with our audience members? You know, maybe some of them being younger performers that are just breaking into the industry or maybe some of them that are thinking about, opening up a business or changing, you know, maybe open to um, just new possibilities and wanting to keep an open mind about their future, but stay financially healthy? Yeah, absolutely. So we've seen uh, a lot of people progress through uh, these tips and tools and strategies that we've, we've touched upon today. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, I, I had a, a dancer call me, and uh, she was pretty behind on on taking care of anything. I think she was three years behind on taxes and had, you know, piles and piles of receipts and things like that. And she called and, and she actually said on the phone, but, well, I, I'll, I'll hire you, but you won't judge me, right? <laughs> and and that was, that was our initial <laughs> yeah. meeting, which was just kind of interesting. And we're not judging you at all. You know, we're here to help you. Mm -hmm. So it's really about establishing those habits. And what I saw from this, this dancer who started out that way, we got her organized. We did that the first year. We added up a bunch of receipts. Mm -hmm. We filed her tax returns. The following year, um, we added in looking through bank statements and she kept track of things consistently. And from going through the bank statements, and actually tracking, we, we did some bookkeeping for her where we tracked everything that went through her accounts all year long. We saved her $5,000 in taxes just just from the difference from just adding up receipts versus looking through everything. And it really made such a difference. And I saw this transformation happen That's where awesome. she became a believer in creating that practice. And she, <laughs> having been a dancer and actually a circus performer with a balancing act mm-hmm. that she did all over the world. Um, then actually started becoming a production stage manager and understanding the organization involved in that and really transitioned her life into, again, the backside of things where you can then help the dancer shine. Yes. And I think my takeaway is really about stepping out on a ledge and, and taking the risk. Yeah. It's okay to do that. The reality is scary and hard and, and sometimes not fun. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, coming from tax and financial and retirement and money, it's not fun. It's, it's a horrible reality check mm-hmm. sometimes. And, and we get to be the people who are your tough love. Yeah. But realizing your dreams is the payoff. Yes. And it makes it all worth it to walk through just some of these realities consistently and make it okay for yourself gives you the moment to exhale and really do things so that you can be doing well 
and so that you can celebrate your success and, and prepare for your future. Absolutely. You know, sort of like, you know, it reminds me of going to dance competitions and getting the judges critiques. It's like, yeah, you have to put yourself through that process time and time again throughout the year. But over time, you get the feedback from these professionals that are giving you constructive criticism to help you. And over time, if it's applied, then you can grow in the same way that you know, the circus performer that you were talking about was able to change and evolve her finances and be able to realize more of what she's capable of as an individual. So I'm so grateful that you were able to share all of your knowledge with us. And I really hope that if you're listening and tuning in and you're seeking professional financial advice, that you get in touch with Jessica and look at some of the resources that she has on her website. We'll definitely leave a link in the description of this episode. Jessica, thank you so much for all that you do and for being present with me on the podcast today. Thank you. Have a, have a great day. Thank you guys for tuning in. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Vibrant Raw Living. Remember that you are just as worthy, deserving, and capable of achieving and maintaining your dreams as much as anyone else. If you have found this podcast useful, please subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud and share it with your friends and family. You can find links to my Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Pinterest, and Snapchat in the show notes below. And if you'd like to follow me for updates, which I only share via email, come on over to my website at victoriamadian.com. I love you and I'm wishing you a wonderful day. Go out there and discover your infinite potential. The Specialty Produce app is the world's number one handheld resource on produce. The app features photographs, recipes, geography and history, taste and culinary applications on over 1,900 produce items. From apples to zapote, we've got your produce questions answered. Our app is available for both iPhone and Android. Download our app for free today.